Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the Dr. Raj podcast with Dr. Raj Desgupta a show all about educating patients, students, and aspiring doctors about better patient care. Dr. Raj is a quadruple board-certified physician and associate professor at the University of Southern California. He was a co-host of the TNT series, Chasing the Cure with Ann Curry, as well as a regular on the TV show, The Doctors. And now, here's our show. Hi, and welcome to the Dr. Raj podcast. And what is this a podcast of? Well, it's a podcast of happiness. It's a podcast of wellness, just amazing stories and things that just make you happy. And you know what makes me happy? Movies, entertainment, TV. And when I think about awesome movies, if you want to know, I do love the sci-fi genre. I do love an exploding Death Star. I've just seen this top Gun Maverick. And I got to tell you, one of the best parts of being happy and excited in the movie theater is the sound. It's behind the scenes. It's the editing that brings it all together. So what I thought would be awesome for the Dr. Raj podcast is to get someone who's an Emmy award winning person who knows about sound and editing all the magic behind films. And may I say is actually a friend of mine. So today's guest is going to be Victoria Sampson. And before I introduce, you know the routine. I have to give the bio first, and then questions all around. So, Victoria Sampson is an Emmy award-winning producer, writer, director, film and sound editor, and educator. She's a veteran su- super a supervising sound editor with over 40 years of experience and over 201 sound credits, including sound editing on Academy Award-winning films for sound such as Speed, yes, Speed with Keanu Reeves, and The River. She has also won four Golden Reel Awards and an Emmy for her sound work in order to give back and create a new generation of informed sound editors and filmmakers. She began teaching at UCLA, and I'll forgive her on that one because, you know, go Trojans, USC, around 1992. So she has many affiliations and memberships. I'm only listing a few. She's part of the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences in the sound branch since 1988. She's part of the Motion Picture Sound Editors, Women in Media on the Advisory Board, LA Sound Sisters, Alliance of Women Directors, Motion Picture Editors Guild since 1973. And I'm gonna like end this with a quote that I just really love. Um, I give back by doing a lot of sound work for free to the directors in the Alliance of Women's Directors, Women in Film, Women in Media, and Indie Filmmakers. I give workshops for universities and colleges, LA post-production group, and film festivals on how to get the best sound for your project, as well as workshops about sound as a career for at-risk youth. And with that being said, 
Vicki, thank you for being here on the Dr. Raj podcast. I'm so happy to be here, Dr. Raj. <laughs> oh, you know, for you, I'm going to say you could call me anything you want because you're just a sweet, awesome person who I've known for quite a while. So I'm excited that you're here. Let's do the kind of the meet and greet. So when did you know you wanted to uh, be in entertainment, the movie, the filmmaking business? How did that come about? Well, um, my mom and dad were both in the business. Um, my dad, Sherman Rose, was a, a B-movie director and film editor. And he directed such things as Target Earth, which has kind of become a cult classic now. And my mom was a sound editor for TV shows like The Rifleman, The Big Valley. And she was gone a lot when I was little because they divorced when I was five. So, you know, she kept working, of course. And she also had a career. She actually wanted to be a producer. She loved oh. movies. And in fact, when she was in New York and went to Hunter College, she knew more than the professors who were teaching the film classes. And so they just kind of turned it over to her and said, here, you teach the class. Because <laughs> she just loved movies. So I kind of got my love of movies from her. And I always loved, I love making people laugh and kind of feeling like I'm entertaining and so I wrote plays when I was in elementary school. I wrote a whole play about Toto from The Wizard of Oz. Oh, and okay. And then later, when I grew up, um, I actually made a film called Click Three Times about a mentally challenged young woman who finds a bag lady hiding in her garage and thinks it's her fairy godmother. <laughs> and I, it starred Isabel Sanford as the fairy godmother from The Jeffersons. Oh, wow. And, uh, yeah, and I did that in uh, 2000, and it won many, many awards and, and played in many festivals. And I just, I love that piece because it kind of incorporates my whole love of movies. So, you know, when I was little, my mom was always gone. So I thought, well, you know, I want to get in the business. You know, I apprenticed with her one summer in high school and and kind of loved it and just kept doing it. She didn't actually get me into the business. Somebody else allowed me to join the union and stuff because she didn't believe in nepotism. But I think she was kind of proud that I wanted to, you know, follow in her footsteps like that. And I apprenticed with her. And, you know, even if you have a, a relative or something in the business, if you're not good at it yourself, you're not going to stay there. So it's not. I kind of, you know, got good and uh, stayed there, even though I really wanted to write and direct. That was my, my goal. Yeah. And in, in 1987, I was one of 12 women selected out of 600 applicants to the directing workshop for women at AFI. Wow. Where I made my, very, my very first film was uh, called Last Chance Saloon about a modern woman who fantasizes being a cowboy in the old West in order to take the credit for her own project, which her, her underling took her credit. Kind of a familiar story, but. <laughs> well, we're going to get back to that, but I want to make sure, uh, you know, I asked this question about your mom because one of my favorite memories, you know, me when I was in your house, I saw a picture with your mom. And I don't think anyone listening today kind of, we're just calling it your mom, really knows uh, who your mom is. So kind of elaborate a little bit. But there was a picture with your mom next to Steven Spielberg for those Jaws, E.T., and George Lucas for us Star Wars geekers, kind of like, oh, my God. And they were kind of like privileged to be in the picture with your mom. So can you tell me? for the audience who she is and why would these big gun directors be so honored to be next to your mom well my mom's name was Kay rose 
And she was the first woman sound editor to win an Oscar, which I'm holding up right now. Even though I see it, everyone. Oh, wow. It was for the movie The River. And um, Spielberg and Lucas considered my mom uh, their mentor uh, in many ways. She was best friends with Berna Fields, who was the film editor of Jaws. Oh, and um, I would go and swim in Verna's pool. She lived in, you know, Sherman Oaks and um, I would go in their pool and Spielberg would come over with his Springer Spaniels and play in the pool with us, you know. Um, and <laughs> one time when he, when he was doing Jaws, he they had to do a reshoot. Okay. And so they brought Bruce the shark over to Verna's pool to do this reshoot. <laughs> that is so awesome. <laughs> basically said, Vicky, you got to get out of the pool because we got to do this research you know, reshoot with the, the sharks. Yeah. So I had to go to the pool. like, oh, really? You know, kind of thing. Yeah, so. So, so you're talking <laughs> Bruce's shark. You know, when I pay for Universal Studios tours, that big old mechanical shark. Mm-hmm. You're just like, whatever's, I'll get out. I can't believe I, I need to get out. Had, I, yeah, I think it was just his head at that point or something. It was a very quick shot, but you know how it goes. In the movies, it's all smoke and mirrors. And anyway, so Spielberg yep. and Lucas... They, you know, were very, let's see, like my mom and I worked on New York, New York, and the same time Lucas was uh, doing Star Wars, they were mixing the film at night, we were mixing in the daytime, so we uh, we would cross paths, and Marsha Lucas, who was George's wife, was the editor of New York, New York, so they would like pass each other, and you know, um, so they were always kind of around, and they wanted to give my mom an endowed chair at USC, and uh, by the way, I did yeah. teach at USC. So your biography, you know, I did teach there too. Okay, <laughs> you got me. <laughs> anyway, so there is an endowed chair in the cinema building. You can look on the plaque and it'll have my mom's name. I think she's in the lower left corner. Um, and they gave her an endowed chair a couple months before she died. And uh, Sarah and Amy came to the ceremony. We were, we were also interviewed. Those are my daughters, Sarah and Amy, mm-hmm. who Raj went to school with. <laughs> um, <laughs> I kept telling them, you know, you better do it soon so that she can actually be present to receive it. Yeah. So they kept postponing it for Spielberg's schedule. And sure. I said, I, I don't want to accept this posthumously. Please do it soon. So they did it in October. They had Johnny Williams and the marching band of USC, a red carpet. They had, you know, a big presentation and it was really cool. And they filmed us ahead of time, like, uh, certain directors my mom worked with, like Mark Raydell, he did The River and The Rose and um, Golden Pond. Um, he's like our favorite director. So they showed the the movie of everybody talking about, you know, my mom. And she turned to me and she goes, this is really a big deal, isn't it? <laughs> so yeah, so humble. Yeah. It really yeah. is a big deal and very well deserved. Um, and so she she felt like that was like the best night of her life, even though I said, but mom, you always told me that me being born was the best night of your life. So <laughs> changing your story around. So, I, so that that's that's who my mom was. She was um, uh, always always concerned more with story. You know, she wasn't a technical person. She kind of retired when analog turned into digital. You know, editing not on a big moviola machine, which she knew how to do. And, and then it went to computers, which she didn't know how to do. Um, <laughs> but it was her ear and her taste for how to support the story through sound, you know, or with sound. Like she would make little sound jokes in certain movies. Like she did a Carl Reiner movie called Where's Papa? And she put little sound jokes in, you know, that um, he didn't ask for, but it it went with the movie and he okay. loved it. Yeah. <laughs> 
So, well, this kind of leads to kind of like the next question is kind of like, you know, being part of such a legacy, you know, and I, I know that you and Amy and Sarah have all been to the Academy Awards multiple times. Is it kind of intimidating to be part of that family when you doing what you do now? And when you look at the resume and they see who, you know, who your mom is, is it kind of intimidating? And um, not really, because sound is still sort of the stepchild of the industry. You know, nobody goes to a movie to see sound, you know, or hear sound unless it's like a Ben Burt project. You know, he did Star Wars, of course. Again, we're sort of the invisible artists behind the scenes. We're not the glory hunters. Uh, in fact, one time when my mom and I, when she got her Oscar, because she she didn't get it at the on the broadcast. She got it in a separate ceremony. Okay. Based on the kind of Oscar it was. And so we're, the studio paid for a limo for us. And so we're going to the, um, I think it was the, what's the big theater, the shrine that's near you? I think it was, it may be. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so we had the window rolled down a little bit. And I remember some people that were just, you know, there to see who was coming. They leaned in, they go, are you guys anybody? That's so funny. (laughs) At least they're honest. They just want to know. (laughs) We got an Oscar. So, (laughs) yeah. So, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's fun. It's definitely it was more supported for her because she, she was a biggie, you know? Yeah. In or is it getting better Vicky, as far as, you know, raising awareness about, you know, sound is, you know, important. It's not just the stepchild, like you referred to it as, are, is it getting more attention now? Do you think? As movies Somewhat. Are getting- I mean, the, the yep. we, we have issues with the Academy, like two years ago when they had certain categories that were off the broadcast and, and just given the awards and then edited in, Oh, that brought up a lot of stuff for people. I'm sure. Like, okay. Why don't you do that for the actors next year? You know? <laughs> so we're, and then they combined our awards. My, my mom was on the board of governors and fought very hard to keep the two parts of sound, sound editing and sound mixing as separate as possible because they're two different things. But then the, Academy said, well, a lot of times the mixers are also the sound editors. So now they're getting two Oscars for the same thing. So let's just combine the award. Hey, so, can you explain to my audience? Because I don't mm-hmm. even know the answer. What, what is, I mean, honestly, I'm to be honest with you. Uh, what, what is the difference in layman's terms between editing and mixing of sound in the movie? Okay, good question. Um, when a movie is shot, we, we try to go for the cleanest production dialogue, meaning the, the dialogue that's on the set or location as possible because we can always add sounds to that. We can't always take them away. So if you're, and of course there's plugins, which are programs that help reduce the noise in a film and they're being developed all the time. Like I have this great one called, you know, VX Clarity Pro, which literally can take crickets or rain out of a scene without touching the dialogue. Yeah. Wow. It's crazy. Okay. okay. It's a game changer for sure. Yeah. Anyway, like, let's say you're doing a Western and you're, you know, airplane flies through. So, you know, you can't use that because it's not the right time period. Right. You can't hide it. You can't take it away because it's a cycle. Yeah. You know, it comes in and goes by, you know, that kind of thing. So we try to get the cleanest production sound recording as we can. Because again, we can always add sounds, we can't take them away. So that's considered production sound, production okay. dialogue. Um, and that's the that's the base. Because if you can't hear the dialogue or understand the dialogue, you've got a problem, yeah. right? In a, yeah. uh, even in an action-adventure film. So then, then we start, we get that, and then we start layering other sounds with it. Gunshots, car doors, 
um, a dog barking, birds. So, wind, so background birds. noise kind of, right? Yeah. Right. So there's, okay. there's background sounds, which are usually always stereo. Dialogue always comes out of the center channel in the okay. theater. And then we have supporting sounds like air, ambiences, uh, wind, rain, traffic, whatever. Like I worked on Fifth Element, we had to come up with space traffic. So you can't just go out <laughs> and you know, so yeah, is, is that is that the mixing part of it, Vicky? No, that's editing. That's all. That's still editing. Yeah, that's okay. still okay. editing. So we gather sound effects and whatever the movie needs. It needs a yeah. nice stab. You know, you got to have. And we have vast sound effects libraries, but it's always okay. good to have fresh new sounds for things. Yeah. So one of the reasons my mom won her Oscar for the movie The River, which was a 1985 Mel Gibson Sissy Spacek. Um, you know, production. Yeah. Mark Rydell, the director, sent my mom to Tennessee to record all the different sounds that happen in the movie. Apart from the regular movie sure. that they were shooting, okay. they've got farm equipment, smelting plants, uh, corn, wind in the corn, cicadas, bulls, and, you know, old trucks that they were using because they're the real sounds. Right. You know? So your mom would go there with special equipment and record these. She went with a recordist, a person okay. who would record. That's a whole other job. Okay. Yeah, that's a whole other job. <laughs> yep. So yeah, so when you see credits, it might say sound, sound, you know, mixer is the production guy or gal who uses a boom mic, you know, big boom mic or a log that fits okay. on somebody's clothes. Yep. Uh, just to record that as cleanly as possible, and then other sounds can get added. Uh, later so then the film gets edited by the film yep. editor and they use just the production sound that was recorded on the set sure. location and and maybe they add some temp music and temp sound effects then they turn it over to a supervising sound editor like me and then w i delegate to all the different departments here you do the foley which is sync sound effects specifically for the film sure. sound effects hard effects which are like gunshots door open and closes background effects all of these different elements like uh, ADR, which is automated dialogue replacement. Talk about that, yeah. Well, but then there's also group ADR. So like if you're in a restaurant scene or in oh. the cantina in Star Wars, yep. all those actors are, are told not to talk out loud because they want to keep the clean tracks for the actual dialogue that they're saying in the movie. The main, the yeah. main people. Because again, if things are married together, you can't undo them. So that's all editing. Think of it as like baking a cake. So we we gather all the ingredients, we blend them, we mix them together in a bowl, and then we hand it over to a mixer who bakes it. Okay, so nice analogy. <laughs> and he made me hungry at the same time. You yeah, know? it happens. <laughs> um, so the, the re-recording mixer, there, there'll be uh, dialogue and music. And we used to have three of them, like dialogue, effects, and music. Now the dialogue person always usually mixes the music as well. And then there's a separate sound effects person okay. who re-recorded. So they take all the tracks that we, we have hundreds of tracks that make up yep. uh, the sound in a movie, even a regular talkie movie, you know, a dialogue driven <laughs> movie has hundreds of sounds. So those have to get blended and balanced against each other so that you hear the dialogue clearly and you feel the sounds are surrounding you, whether it's in Dolby Atmos, which is the sound that goes through the speakers above yeah. your head now yeah. in certain theaters. Um, yeah. And so all of those get mixed together and then that creates the soundtrack for the theater. And you know, what's crazy. It's like, it's almost when you hear something has just been just finished filming, whether it's a motion picture or a TV show, just hearing this quick spiel you gave me, it's almost like the work just begun 
right when the film is done, you know, it, it, it just, and I can't even imagine how much work it is just to do five minutes of a film. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. God knows. Well, sometimes, sometimes I get asked to do the sound on, on my friend's shorts and stuff. I'll say, how long is it? Oh, it's only 10 minutes. Uh, and everybody on my crew worked for free. And I said, yeah, how long did, where did they work for? A day? <laughs> yeah, that was a day. I said, do you know how long it's going to take me to edit your 10-minute film? And I said, it'll probably take two weeks, you know? Yeah, it sounds about right. Or That's scary. Depending oh on what you need and what your sound. Like, if you don't record the sound very well in the beginning, yep. then you have to fix it. And that takes time. Or you have to loop it or ADR it. People say to me, well, with all your knowledge, don't you get, you know, do you go to a movie? Can you watch a movie properly? I said, yeah, I want to get lost in the movie, just like any audience does. But I also, you know, if something really sticks out to me, I get disturbed by it. (laughs) (laughs) So you did a big role in speed, you know what I mean? And I'm trying to bring movies up there. I just feel our game changers. We all know that classic bus scene. And, you know, uh, what was your role in that? And you mentioned right off camera that, hey, you got this close. You're inching towards an Oscar. I was the ADR supervisor. And a good thing to know is that directors have to do what they feel is best at the time. And Linda Bont, who was the director of Speed, he had been a a cinematographer. So he's very visual. He didn't know much about sound. And so he wanted the emotion of them on an actual driving bus to you know, be in the film. So okay. he chose not to tow the bus with a, a camera car, which is means that you just put the bus on a trailer and then you pull it. Yeah. It doesn't have any engine going. And everybody told him if you if you do it with real engine, you're gonna have to probably loop or replace all the dialogue in the whole bus scene. That makes sense. But he's like, okay, you know, he didn't because the bus was really only going from first to second gear, which is like Right, and of course, the conceit of the story is that bus has to stay above sixty miles an hour. Yeah, exactly. Sixty, I forget. Sixty, yeah, or it blows up. Yep. So, and then if you try to put more uh, engine sounds on top of that bad sound, it's just mushy, you know. And so, and of course, the actors are speaking above that noise floor there's always a noise floor you know like i'm sure when you go in front of a big audience of people uh you know you have the echo in the room and you're speaking louder you're projecting more yeah Um, even if you have a microphone it's just human nature to want to project louder no i do it all the time yeah so they had to adr the whole bus scene which was my my glory and my expertise in that and um but but an interesting thing too, because we could probably fix that bad sound today with, with the tools we have, but we were still on analog, which means everything had to be pretty close to sync. Because wow. you couldn't right now we can stretch words and we can do all kinds of things to get words in mouths. But okay. back then you were limited by, you know, a quarter of a frame, you know, and there's like 30 frames a second in a movie. So, you know, one quarter of a frame, I mean, we can move things in subframes now, you know, digital <laughs> and stretch things without changing the pitch. So, and Keanu, yeah. he, you know, he just come off of Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Of course. Dude, dude, right? <laughs> so the ADR, you know, gave him a chance to really change his performance. So he made his voice a little deeper. And more manly. So, you know, and and what I do for my classes is I show them 
the production sound for speed in this yeah. one scene when at right after the lady leaves the bus and the bus kind of blows up a little bit. Yeah, 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 totally, totally. It was my friend Beth Grant. I became friends with her on that oh. show and then worked with okay. her again on Donnie Darko. She played the uh, cheerleader teacher on Donnie Darko. Anyway, wonderful woman. Um, and so then Keanu comes over and talks to Sandra Bullock, who's driving the bus, and he's like, she, we, you know, we had to let her blow up, you know, it's his fault, Danny, not, you know, anyway, he goes through a whole spiel, but in the original one, you can barely understand what he's saying. And it's, it's a, a two shot of both of them. So you want some intimacy. Of course. But the, the dialogue is married to the noise of the engine. Yeah. So when we looped it, he really brought him, he brought his authority. He, he was very intimate. And now you can, you can change the balance of the sound effects you know, the bus sounds with yep. the voice so that his voice can be a little bit higher, you know, projected better. We we uh, did that for three weekends in a row because he was already in Canada working on Johnny Mnemonic. And then we came on the weekend up to Canada, his assistant, me and the director, all, you know, and then we looped him like Saturday and Sunday. Yeah. And uh, by the third weekend, he was literally picking up a chair and throwing it through the wall. It's <laughs> a very, it's a frustrating process because you're, recreating a whole performance you know no and, and let me you know, this is my chance and you could make fun okay. of me because adr i want people who listen to this to really appreciate what it is so for example and vicky i know you're a pro at this imagine me just kind of like filming myself walking through the the quad the campus here at usc i'm giving a little spiel if you hear my audio what i'm talking about it, it you, you may be drowned out like you said by the students around me the patients around me and all the noise but when you do ADR, you take me in a room separate, you know what I mean, of everything else. I re-record my dialogue, and, it, and then you kind of tee it up to the actual film, and it sounds so crisp and clear. And it's just an amazing when you put those right by each other, you know what I mean? ADR is like a game changer. Like you said, and when you watch Speed, of course, I didn't even think about that, about the, the engine noise and all the background noise. But when you watch the movie, their dialogue is so good and crisp. You know what I mean? So mm -hmm. you're amazing. Well, you want it to feel, you want it to yeah. feel not just because yeah, when you do ADR and we, we have to program line by line by line because the automated part of that automated dialogue replacement yep. is that every line you say gets like a little series of beeps in front of it. So it goes beep, 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 <laughs> talk. So, and, and that's like a, a, you know, a rhythm cue to get yep. you into it but you have to do it line by line by line. So you're not doing it to other actors, you know, right. you do it on a bare stage and you, you're watching your mouth and sometimes uh, actors get intimidated. And so they're always like a little bit behind because they're trying to watch their mouth move. And so I'll say, close your eyes, trust the beeps, Luke. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're setting me up. So this is right. a great segue for, um, I'm going to talk about your work on, you know, ADR on, Return of the Jedi. Huge Star Wars fan. I am so jealous that you get to hang out with all these peeps. And there was this funny story I heard about a VHS tape of Return of the Jedi, and you had to do something with it, and maybe it got misplaced. Tell me what happened. Tell me the tell me the truth behind okay. this story. Okay. So here's the truth. So okay. I first have to preface it by by telling you that George Lucas approached my mom. Yeah. Um, and said, okay, I got this movie coming up. I really want you to work on it. It's called Star Wars. And, and with the original Star Wars. Like 
the actual Star Wars, the very first one. Yeah, so he's okay. That's my mom to do the sound. She says, "Oh, George, you know I don't like science fiction." (laughs) (laughs) And and she and I both talked afterwards, and and it was like Star Wars. What a dumb name for a movie. Like what a war out in space. Like who cares, you know? Um, But um, and you know, which taught me that she both knows her. She knew her strengths and her weaknesses. Like her strength is dialogue-driven movies because she loves story. She's recording story with sound. She's a great sound effects editor, but she wouldn't have been the right choice for Star Wars. Yeah. It would have been fine, but it wouldn't have been, like, groundbreaking the way it was, you know? But I always think that's so funny that she turned down Star Wars. I know. I didn't even know that. I'm glad you're dropping these pearls during our conversation. (laughs) There's so many. I mean, I could talk about this for hours. Anyway, so I was kind of happy when I was asked to do the ADR for the English actors for Return of the Jedi. So I, I went up to, you know, San Francisco every week. I was in my ben- at my bench on, uh, you know, Monday morning and, you know, at 10 o'clock because I flew and they would let me fly home every, I think it was like PSA or there were some airlines. Yes, they remember PSA. They had vouchers. And so every yeah. Friday night I would leave and come home, be with my family, you know. Okay. And um, so the girls were five and seven, I think. So I'm, I, I program everything, you know, line by line for all the English actors, including Alec Guinness and Michael Ian Pietro and awesome. uh, all the English people. And they put me on, you know, I'm ready to go on a Virgin Atlantic flight, you know, first class, because that's how they have to pay, do that's it. How you roll. That's how you roll. <laughs> anywhere over five hours. Anyway, I thought, oh, I'm going to England in January. I'll need thermal underwear. I didn't know. I was like, what is it, a third world country or something? But <laughs> I had Sarah and Amy in my car. I had the boxes of film. It was film, not tapes, but boxes okay. of, of a thousand foot reels, you know, in two big boxes. Yeah. I had my my briefcase with my ticket, my passport, my cue sheets, which are the program sheets, and some clothes that I was you know, pulled over to a sporting goods shop in Hollywood in my 67 red Mustang, <laughs> important part of the story. And I had this intuition, like, mm, don't, don't leave, don't abandon the car here. You know, and I said, Oh, I'll only be like five minutes. So I come go in, get the stuff, come out, the window smashed and the film was taken. Oh, and my clothes yeah. were taken. They did not take my little canvas briefcase that had all the stuff in it, but they took okay. the film that I was supposed to be on the with the next day. <laughs> oh, so oh, wow. I had to call Lucas, you know, at, the, at, at nine o'clock at night. Wait, are we talking George or Lucas? Well, you know, Lucas film, you know. Okay, I'm like, hey, like, George. <laughs> like, hello, hi, yeah. <laughs> Um, The film was stolen out of my car, you know. So they had to call an assistant in overnight to deconform the film back to the version I had queued to because – the all the cues are timed perfectly to right. a certain version of the film and uh, they're like did it have the name of the film on it because you know we went by a, a secret uh name for the film i think it was oh, savage yeah. harvest or brown harvest i always forget what it was and i said no it, it had because at first it was called revenge of the jedi and they changed it to return of the jedi I, and i do know that for a fact because revenge is a little too uh, aggressive at the time so jedi right. want revenge Right. I love that you know this. I'm exactly. very proud of you, Vicky. Okay. Oh, thank you, Rob. <laughs> um, 
So, uh, so then the, and my mom went out and got another London fog jacket for me. And, you know, like, and we're, we get to the airport and the guy from San Francisco comes running down the thing with two boxes of film, like, here you go. And then, you know, he got back on the plane to go back to San Francisco and they sent detectives down from, from North San Rafael and, and went through like all the trash cans in Hollywood or something and I'm sure it just didn't look like anything to them because it was yeah. like black and white dupes, you know, which are, as I said, a thousand feet, which is about, what would you say? That's the size of a dinner plate, let's say. And then that yeah, was crazy. So then when I get to London and I, and I was like so nervous, I broke out in hives. I was like hitting all over. I couldn't enjoy the flight uh, there, you know, with the first class service and all. Anyway, they, I get there and they whisk me off to Abbey Road Studios where John Williams is conducting the orchestra Aww. and George is off in the corner with big, you know, noise uh, reduction headphones on stand, you know, next to a big speaker. And I went like, hi, you know, like, hi. <laughs> And then I kind of mouth, sorry, you know, and he's like, oh, well, what are you going to do? You know, oh. <laughs> but that's the only Lucasfilm I ever worked on. But anyway, <laughs> and that was the last Lucasfilm I worked on. That was the last one I worked on. Um, but when I got to London, yep. uh, it was a great session. And sure. uh, Alex, Sir Alec Guinness had never done uh, looping with uh, the beeps before. Okay. Okay. He was used to the old fashioned, why they call it looping was because they would put spacer of like just fill film in between the lines so the thing would go around and it would be like hi how are you hi how are you and you would put the same you would hear it and then repeat it and hear it and repeat it okay um, some actors still like to do it that way like john travolta he's he loves to do it that way but they all come out exactly sounding the same but anyway <laughs> process so um at the end of our session with uh, sir alec guinness he, i don't think he was a sir yet but I said, oh, would you sign my cue sheet? He says, oh, my dear, it would be such a pleasure if you would sign mine. Oh, nice. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Then this guy comes in and I said, hi, you know, are you here to do the looping? He says, yes. And I said, well, what character are you? And he's like, I'm the emperor. And I looked at him and went, you are not, you know, (laughs) the young guy then, you know. And they made him look like an old, he played the emperor. Wow. You know, he looked like an old guy, you know. And I said, oh, okay, yeah, I didn't recognize you without your makeup on, you know. (laughs) Um, But it was a very wonderful experience. But one of the fun things about that is um, there was a shot of a, one of the stormtroopers, and it was like a big medium shot, right? Okay. So you see his face. And when you breathe, like if you inhale, you know, go ahead and inhale. Yeah, see your shoulders move? Oh, yeah, they, yeah, of course. Yeah, your shoulders go back. And um, and usually ADR is cued right to the first word. So the actor is going to inhale over those three beeps. Oh, I see. Right? Okay. So if you go beep, 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 talk, they're yeah. going to take the inhale on the beeps. And back then, you could only have the beeps out loud on the speakers so the actor could hear them. Gotcha. And so I would make a note because I'm missing that breath. You know, I'm missing hearing that breath. So after all the takes, I'm trying to find like a take where maybe he breathes somewhere else. I can make a note and put it there later, you know. And I said, gosh, I really I hate to ask you this, but can we program for the inhale? And the director <laughs> and the actor looked at me like I was nuts. And I said, just trust me, you'll you'll like it. It won't look yeah. like ODR if you if you hear the breath. And they're like, well, he's in the big stormtrooper building, whatever that, you know, hangar. Yeah. The Death Star. And, yeah. Oh, and yeah. there's thousands, there's gonna be lots of noise. I said, Yeah, but he's right. You can see his shoulders go up. So anyway, they ended up 
you know, doing a breath for me. Thank nice. you. Like, please, you know. And then um, later after I was done editing, you know, because you have to sync it up a lot better than when they record it um, as much as you can do. They called me from the dub stage up in uh, San Francisco and they said, nobody could believe that that was a loop line because of that breath. Ah! <laughs> All right. You got the last laugh on that one. I like yeah. it. And we also recorded in an old cow barn across from Hyde Park, I think it was, and it had these art, you know, rounded archways and it used to be where they would bring the cows in at night, you know, and it, and it sloped down. So it was kind of underground a little bit. And they turned that into an ADR recording studio. Vicky, I'm, I got to make sure I ask you these questions. I could sit here and just do coffee with you. I should have got like some bourbon for us and some cigars, but here, <laughs> answer these things, answer these questions for me. So one fun thing I wanted to teach my audience was, can you quickly just let us know what, what Foley is and what is its role in a movie and do you still do it? Oh, yeah. So Foley was named after a universal sound editor named Jack Foley. And it's basically sync sound effects made to the picture specifically. So let's say you're working on a Western and some guy walks down the boardwalk with his spurs jingling, jangling, you know, clump, 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 right? So um, like if it didn't have any dialogue in it, like my mom on the Rifleman or Big Valley, yep. she would pull that sound effect out and put it in their sound effects library so that anybody looking for boots with spurs walking on a boardwalk could find it and edit it in specifically like that. So I think in the late, the mid sixties or so, they discovered that why not, you know, just use a sound stage and have somebody holding a boom mic and recording, like, I'm going to watch him walk and I'm going to walk in sync and, um, oh, we'll do the spurs separately so they don't get married. Cause remember separate sound is best. That's right. Um, and, oh, we could do all kinds of surfaces. So a Foley state and it's still called affectionately Foley after Jack Foley. Um, and it's really a very, very integral part of a film if they have the budget for it. Now, most, you know, indie films just don't do it. And so mm -hmm. you end up cutting it out of the library, but that's very laborious to try to sync something that's going do, 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 to somebody going do, 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 yeah. do, do, you know? And when was the last time you've done it for one of your projects? Um, Blue Moon, it's pretty common for you. Yeah, uh, one of my projects. No, I haven't. Uh, I don't have the budget for. <laughs> I cut it out of a library, but but these are Foley artists. I actually uh, last year I directed a piece about Foley for a possible um, interesting new show using the premier Foley artists in the world, John Rush, who now works at Lucasfilm. They built him his own Foley stage, and a Foley stage is just a a, a big stage equipped with like maybe two two or three feet by five feet surfaces. So there's hardwood, softwood, dirt. Uh, there's a water pit. There's, uh, it looks like your grandma's garage. You know, <laughs> it's got so much stuff in it that, that cause anything could be used for sound, you know, and, and oftentimes the, the real sound doesn't sound like what we think the real sound sounds like. So of course not. How, we, yeah. how we make grass footsteps is we pull out quarter inch tape or, cassette tapes, you know, the tape from the tapes and put that on dirt. And when you walk on it, it sounds like grass. Or if you use cornstarch, will sound like snow. <laughs> you know? um, so they've gotten very good at, you know, recreating based on how the microphone is hearing it. 
So that's why there's lots of sound jobs. I mean, there's Foley artists who are the, the walkers. They called them walkers for a while. And now they're Foley artists. Um, I did actually on my film Reflections that I did a couple years ago, I got a donated uh, Foley services because oh. it's really good to get something very specific as opposed to trying to find a sound and fit it into that into that frame. So Foley is a very important part of the film process. So. And I want to make sure I ask you this too, because um, when I was reading your your bio, you know, you're a part of women's directors, women in film, women in media. Are you part of raising awareness about getting women more involved in the film industry? Yeah, I, I wouldn't say I'm like in the movement of it, but I'm certainly advocating for it because there's not too many women sound editors anymore that I've seen. I mean, there are, you know, many more women directors and you know below the line like camera operators and dps director of photography uh grip and electric which has been traditionally men you know dominated uh they're learning women are learning those crafts due to women in media is one of the groups that puts together these huge companies that help train women to be um grips and electric and camera operators and set construction and production design and things like that and I like enlightening people about the use of sound. That's why I go to film festivals and schools. I'm going to Savannah College of Art and Design in oh. November and doing a yeah. mentor workshop there for a few days. So, Because I want directors to know the power of it. You know, it's not just a technical thing. It's, it's, uh, it's part of storytelling. So I tell them, you know, read their scripts and think about the story and the sound like, Whatever environment you're in right now, just listen to it. See what it is. When you go on location, you know, is and you have a beautiful visual, but maybe it's on a flight path, yeah, or or near a school that lets out at three o'clock every day. You know, I mean, I love talking about the sound editing, but you're a producer, a writer, a director. I mean, what do you like to do the most right now? <laughs> um, I like to. I love directing. I love writing, but I find that's very solitary and. I often put it off last, even though I have great ideas for scripts and I need to write more. But um, I love creating and, and I love directing. I love film editing. I, I love it all, really. But sound editing is a really hard position because it's like the last part of the process of filming. So let's say they have this release date over here, my hands on the right side of the screen. Okay. And then, you know, they film here. Oh, maybe they go a little over, a little over. Oh, we, you know, now we're going to turn it over to the sound editors and you get like 20 seconds, finish the sound, you know, and people, oh, no. they okay. don't appreciate, you know, the time that it takes. I even yeah. had to tell Barbara Streisand, okay. On Prince of Tides, I had, Barbara wanted me to do this thing where when we were on the ADR stage, now that you know what that is, she and yes. Nick were doing a scene together and she wanted them to do it together. And I said, Barbara, if you do that and you overlap and you want to change the position of one of your lines of dialogue, we can't do that because they're going to be married. Oh, that's okay. Let's just, I want to do it this way. Okay, great. So <laughs> then later on when it gets cut into the movie, she goes, can we change the position of that line? And I said, Barbara, <laughs> I said, you may be Barbara Streisand, but even you can't fly to New York in 20 minutes. I said, <laughs> and I started to tell her how long she goes, yep. no, no, no. Like, la, 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 la. Don't tell me how long it's going to take because that might influence my um, decision to have you do, you know, what yeah. I want. I said, well, I, I don't want to stop your process, but you just need to know that I, I will be here all night trying to do that. Yeah. So like nope. you get to drive over and 
Yep. You know, get driven home and, <laughs> you know, I still have to stop and buy dog food, you know. So <laughs> post-production, and I can see why many women don't do it now because they're, you're always trading, you know, time for money, right? So, yes, this is the job and this is what it entails. So oftentimes I couldn't get home and see the girls. I couldn't put them to bed. I didn't know what was going on in their lives too much because I was always working you know, after Ron died. So I had to, you know, so be the, the one person to do that. So it, it was hard. It was a hard, hard job to try to juggle that and, you know, try to be a mom in the few minutes I had to be one. And even the weekends, I mean, we now have a 19 day rule where, you know, you can't work more than 19 days in a row without a day off. I mean, that might seem wow. crazy, but um, I remember one story about a woman who had been an, an ER nurse, right? And she wanted to get into film. And so she was an assistant editor. And one day everybody was running around like, oh, we got to get this. We got to get this. There's a deadline, deadline. Now. And she's like, wait a minute. This is not a cure for cancer. <laughs> this is a movie, <laughs> you know? <laughs> it's like, yeah, there's that perspective. But, you know, when you're in the throes of it, you have to do what you have to do. So, it done, so. And this kind of leads to where I want to ask you is, you know, right now, I mean, what what are your goals in the future? You accomplished so much. You know, I love hearing. I understand now, I mean, when I used to get a chance to come visit your house and spend time with uh, Sarah in high school, I never appreciated how busy you were. And I just, I'm loving having this talk with you, but what are your goals now? What do you want to do? Um, well, I retired officially from Sound the Union in 2014, just so I could do more directing and writing. And I have, I've done like a bunch of films and a bunch of little, you know, short commercial type things. I have not yet directed a feature. Um, I'm hoping to, in fact, I had a meeting today with a, a, a woman who was very encouraging, but you know, it, it takes money and even making these short little films, like both my those two shorts, Reflections and You Drive Me Crazy, they're only eight minutes, but they each cost about, you know, ten to $12,000, which, you know, you have to raise the money because yeah. I don't have it. Um, and, uh, you know, I can't expect the same people to work for free over and over. And you're always, if you get somebody inexperienced, then you have to make up for it later by fixing whatever they didn't do. And, you know, especially for camera work, when you have an out of focus shot, you cannot use it. Okay, so you have to get a good DP with a good first AD, a first AC, first assistant camera who controls the focus, and that's why I tell I try to compare it with sound. It's like sound picture is like everything, you know. Sound, oh, we'll fix it in post. Well, my my mantra sort of is, let's fix it on the set. Let's fix it before it becomes a problem. And I'm sure you, as a doctor, know preventive is always better than. Surgery. Well said. Bringing the medicine right? to this, I like that. <laughs> I like that. Right. So, um, so I would like to get a little better balance in my life of things. But as my daughters always remind me, "Mom, you're always so busy. You're busy, busy, busy." I said, "Yeah, I know. I've really got to pull back on that because I tend to do. If somebody says, "Oh, Vicky, can you fix this?" I was like, "Oh, yes. I, of course, I will." You know, and and I need to stop doing that so much because it's. A lot of time, and because I I can't let things go if I know they can be fixed, I want to fix them. Well, isn't that the best quality about what you do is having that? You know what I mean? Because that's why you have those awards behind you, and it says director behind you because you don't want to let those things go. Right. 
I don't, but you know, sound is um, a big, big time suck. I, I just did a memorial for a friend's brother. I was supposed to go film it for her, but I was in a car accident. I couldn't go, whatever. And um, I'm fine. The car was, you know. Oh, thank you for throwing that part in there. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, and um, so people just filmed yeah. with their iPhones. So some people filmed vertically, which is how, you know, people yeah. do with their phones, but films are done horizontally wide wide frame so i'm trying to figure out how do i mix the two together and you know a couple and the sound was horrible of course but i used my new program my plugin so that i could get rid of all the wind yeah and uh, put some music in it and you know did some titles and oh they thought it was just the cat's meow you know where it was <laughs> but it took me probably a good week of solid time to do it and yeah. you know she paid me 250 bucks. So what is that? Like three cents an hour? I don't know. <laughs> well, you break it down like that. Yes. I know. But as I said, it's, it's really hard for me to just, I, I, I can't like edit without integrity, but they don't pay me enough for integrity. <laughs> but I don't know how to dumb it down. I don't know how to give less than what I know how to give, you know? Yeah. And that does take time. So that's, but I want to, you know, do more writing and hopefully I can do a feature before I die, you know, and um, just try to enjoy what I'm doing. Well, Vicki, let me ask you one last question. I mean, there are people who are listening to podcasts that not everyone wants to go into medicine or whatever it is going to be. There are people who want to be in the film industry or, or entertainment. So what advice would you give, you know, young individuals starting their careers, whether it be high school or college, who want to go into the business, you know, I know it's a broad question, but from all your experiences, what could you say? My best advice is just to make content, you know, like how do you get to Carnegie Hall? Practice, 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 right? Um, they don't call medicine a, a, a done deal. It's always a practice, right? Yes. Um, so I think, and now making movies is so accessible. I mean, people can do it on their phones, you know, and then they're going to learn how to reinvent the wheel again. <laughs> <laughs> But um, I, in almost every school, even high schools now have, you know, film making programs. And um, of course, USC has a great, you know, filmmaking program. And the endowed chair that's there is headed by Midge Costin right now. And, uh, you know, my mom and I are both in the Making Waves. Do you know that documentary? That's no, I don't. Midge directed it. It's called Making Waves, the Art of Cinematic Sound. And uh, it, you know, credits USC and it has a lot of interviews with a lot of us gals and guys in the sound business. And it really explains the whole process. I encourage anybody to check it out. I think it might still be on Amazon. You can find it, Making Waves, the Art of Cinematic Sound. And um, I remember taking uh, Janet's mom and Sarah and Amy were both here for the, the preview of it, too, which was kind of fun coincidentally. And I took Janet's mom to it and she, you know, she's known me for like 30 years and she turned to me after it was over and she goes, Oh, is that what you've been doing? <laughs> <laughs> it is sort of a mystery, you know? So I encourage people to just make, you know, content or go to film schools. You know, you can even do it as UCLA extension or, um, or USC has classes, Cal state LA. I've been teaching there for the last couple of years um, they have a cool program and, and most junior colleges have, have filmmaking. The other thing is to, once you do make a film, you know, you get with a group of people. I mean, you know, Spielberg got uh, Richard Anderson, who was his 
you know, they met in, in film school and he was his sound editor for years and years on Indiana Jones and many other things. So, you know, you become, you know, you want to work with people, you know, so you get a little group together and you make films, you know, Hey, let's put on a show. <clears throat> and then once you get it made, you know, you take it to film festivals and, and really, even if you haven't made a film, you should go to film festivals that have panels and workshops because you get to talk to the people who okay. made films and they you can glean from their experience, you know, information that you need. Cause yeah, you don't need to reinvent the camera. It's like, figure out how to get good sound. If you're going to shoot on an iPhone, you know, figure out how to get good sound because you you might have beautiful images, but if your sound is bad, it's it makes your whole film look sucky. You know, I so, love this practical yeah. advice, and, and also just reach yeah. out to people who are in the business who might want to help you. You know, like okay. I I give my email address out. I have great handouts that I give to people to help them get good sound on the set. You know, so that people like me don't get stuck fixing things. Because look, <laughs> wouldn't you rather have me work on your film? in a creative capacity than just the fix it person, you know, of like, course. and I can't make it good until I fix it. You know, like it's well, not going to be good. Adding more to it isn't going to make it good, but hearing the dialogue might make it better, you know? Well, since you offered being helpful, I mean, the last thing I wanted to ask was, you know, there are people going to listen to this podcast that, you know, want to learn more about you and take more of your advice. So even though I'll put this all in the show notes, what, do you have some sort of website or how they get a hold of you or what's the best way? Um, probably just email, which is just my email, vsampson at aol.com. <laughs> I'm, I'm old school, vsampson at aol.com. And yeah, I'm happy to send handouts or whatever. I'm, I'm, I'm reachable. So I mean, Vicky, thank you for spending time with me today. It's funny. I was kind of like, yeah, we're just going to bang this out in 30 minutes. I mean, me and you, like I said, we could keep it going. I'm like looking at the time like, oh, my God, I got to cut this. You're amazing. The stories you tell me, you got me involved where I'm like, okay, let's just keep on going. And you're an amazing person. Thank you for all you've done. And I really do finally understand all these years later what you actually do. And it made me happy. So thank you for being on the Dr. Raj podcast. Oh, thanks. I, I really liked it too. <laughs> and for all my listeners, hey, thank you for listening in today and stay tuned in two more weeks for another episode of Amazing Stories and Amazing People. Catch you soon. Thanks for listening. This has been a production of Ars Longa Media. Our producers are Madison Linden and Chris Brightigan. Our executive producer is Dr. Patrick Beeman. This podcast is for educational purposes only and not intended for medical advice. Ars Longa, Vita Brevis.